live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, season 10. Hi everyone and welcome to the season 10 finale of The Dark Paranormal. This season has not only flown by, it's also been our most successful season yet. And that's all down to you, The Dark Paranormal listeners. And I'd like to thank each and every one of you for both your submissions of your true paranormal experiences, your comments, your feedback and for just being there. This is, and always will be, your show. As the name suggests, I started the dark paranormal in order to focus on the true, darkest aspects of the paranormal. We don't deal in stories of past pets coming to pay you a visit. We deal in darkness here. And from the hundreds of emails that I receive each month, I choose the darkest stories in order to remind everyone There is a reason that occasionally you will run up the stairs after turning the lights off of a night. There's a reason you question that creaking on the stairs at 3am. And that's because somewhere deep within you, there hasn't been adulted away with all the bills we have to pay, the lives we have to lead. It knows these things exist. There's also a reason I ask you to leave your disbelief at the door at the start of each episode. And that's because I want you to listen to somebody else's true paranormal experience with unbiased ears. And that's because even within the world of the paranormal believer, there are levels of belief. Everyone's fine with the deceased loved one sat at the end of the bed telling you everything's okay. Everyone accepts that type of paranormal experience. Less so when you tell someone you've been dragged by the hair, out of bed, down the stairs and thrown against a wall. People who experience that level of paranormal activity tend to keep it to themselves, lest they be thought of as strange or a liar. But it's those stories we will always focus on here. And these experiences should scare you. They should terrify you because after 10 seasons of this show, I'm more convinced than ever that that primal part of you that makes you run up the stairs or question that creak does so to protect you because it knows that somewhere in the darkness, these things are real. Today's true paranormal experience is one that I've been back and forth editing with the submitter for most of this season. Originally scheduled to go out mid-season, the submitter decided last minute that that version of his events may have held clues to identify both him and his family. And as you're soon going to hear, that could lead to potential danger to him and his loved ones. But before we head into today's finale, I just need to say a quick thank you to our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you join the team, not only do you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, you can also gain exclusive access to the Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a show which runs each and every week, even on the downtime between seasons. 
And as after today's episode, we take our standard three-week break before our Season 11 debut on Friday the 28th of April, it means not only will you continue to receive a weekly paranormal fix, but you will also receive the premiere episode of Season 11 before everyone else. And of course, you get to binge the entire back catalogue of Dark Bites, over 30 hours of Patreon-only content, We've built our wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over at Patreon. And we want to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Just like these wonderful new team members have. Winnie Harrington, Whitney S, Shelby McLeod, Seraph, Lizette Duran, Clara Snowden, Carolina Herrero, Austin, Destiny Nagel, Heather Walsh, Debbie Blatt, Mark Lockyer, Jules E, Jen Russell, Catherine Elliston, Zach Abrego, Erin Matsk, Trudy Barry, Chad Cram, Paige Costa, Connor Dennis, Paula Townsend, Aidan Johnson, Charles Holloway, Nicole Auerbach, Tara Coleman, Sarah McLean, Dorothy Ross McGiver, Christy Dorsett, Pierce Whitehead, James Greach, Jackie Burton, Emma L.A., Carl Steinkoff, Yvonne Metcalf, Natalie Smale, Lucas Wolf, Claire Floyd, Midnight Raven, Jonathan Carmody, Heather Walsh, Nancy A., Ariana Campbell, Andrew Maudsley, David Perez, Lauren McNulty, Christian Pianca, Brian Gutierrez, Raphael Boudou, Karen M. Collins Fleming, Kathan Fraley, A. Froge, Richard Tolan, Cian, and Joni Coots. Thank you so much for joining the team, guys. I hope you enjoy all the ad-free content, the Dark Bites episodes between now and the start of Season 11, and, of course, the early release of the premiere of Season 11. So, if you'd like to join us over on Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. But right now, and for the final time this season, it's time to lower the lights. Make yourself comfortable... And of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we finally hear all about the darkest ritual. First of all, I'd like to thank you and your listeners for your patience whilst we work together to reach a common ground in order for my experience to be told. I also apologise for requesting my initial submission to not be published after you denounced it for the following week. However, the reasons for this, you understand. For the listener, the events I'm about to relay genuinely took place. I sincerely wish they did not. And I sincerely believe that the hand of the devil himself is directly responsible for the things I'm about to describe. I believe... He is the reason my experience is filled with so much death, so much madness. The reason I have edited and re-edited this document before reaching this final version is, I was caught in a juxtaposition where I wanted to portray the events as they happened, whilst at the same time ensuring complete anonymity for those involved including myself. With this final version, I'm satisfied I've accomplished that. And so, to my experience. My name is Diego, and although I now reside in California, I and my family come from a small town in southern Mexico. The phrase small town both does and doesn't do the place justice. At that time, 
days-long power outages were commonplace in the town. Yet, there was also a feeling that we were one of the more progressive towns within the area. This was the late 80s, early 90s, and, as much as possible, we embraced the movement in technology, in culture. The point I'm trying to put across is, please don't imagine eight of us sharing a room, or 12 people huddled around a 12-inch TV set. We, the town, was relatively well off, comparatively speaking, and power outages aside. I lived with my mother and father, Sarah and Seb, and was 15 years old when I arrived at my paternal grandparents' house, who lived just a few blocks away. I loved my father's parents. My grandma Alina and my grandpa Jose treated me like I was a prince. So, when my mum and dad asked if I'd either A. Go on a week's vacation with them to California, or B. Spend a week with my grandma Elena, it was an easy decision to make. Plus, I also had school to think about. The break was during term time, and I would have been required to make the time back during the holidays. No thank you. Also, I think my parents just needed a break for themselves, you know? My grandmother Elena was a deeply religious person. Having a small, clothed table adorned with statues of many saints, within an almost cupboard-sized room. She would go in nightly and light a few candles, her rosary in hand, and come out as if meditated. I thought it strange that she had went in to pray in the morning, on that particular day. And when she came out, still clutching her rosary, and looking worse than when she'd gone in, I knew something was wrong. My grandpa met her in the hallway and they both turned to face me. My week-long stay had now become a permanent one. There had been a motorcycle accident. Father was steering, mother was riding pillion, and both of them had tragically died at the scene. It's not right and it still feels unfair to have both of your parents taken away so suddenly. I began to have anxiety, panic attacks, and then the nightmares came. I had two repetitive nightmares. In one, my father would walk through the wall in my bedroom, smiling as he made his way through the wall, waving. However... As he came fully through the wall, he would collapse to the floor, still smiling, and I would notice then his legs were snapped in many places. Diego, he would say in a friendly voice, as he would start to drag himself towards my bed. I would feel the emotion in me go from relief to utter fear and eventually wake up with a racing heart and a sweating brow. In my second nightmare, my mother would sit on the end of my bed, stroking my legs and making soothing sounds. Once more, I would feel a wave of relief, like it was all just a bad dream. 
and then I would become aware of a line across her neck. And as she shushed me, the head would, very minimally at first, begin to slide around her neck. Again, my emotions would become anxious as it appeared that her head was simply placed on her neck and could come free at any point. The more I realized this, the more terrified I became. And just before it appeared as if her smiling head would slide off, I would awake, covered in sweat and gasping for air. My school were very nice and accommodating during this period. They arranged with my grandparents for me to start seeing a counsellor twice a week. I would sit in her office and explain about the dreams I was having on an almost nightly basis. I remember saying to her that they felt, well, real. Like there was some sincere attempt by my parents to make some sort of communication. She would nod and then tell me this was an entirely normal sensation to have, given the traumatic loss I'd experienced. And that partially calmed me, knowing this clearly qualified lady was using her years of expertise to help me rationalise what I was experiencing. And I did begin to rationalise those nightmares. Which child wouldn't hope and pray that their parents would return, even in dreams? So, for a few weeks, I began to feel like I was getting myself together. And that's when the shadows began appearing. Only fleeting glimpses at first. I'd even question if I'd actually seen anything. Shooting my head around each time something swept past the side of my vision stopping what I was doing and staring at the spot where the shadow seemed to disappear, just in case it decided to reappear. But they never did, at first. Yet over time, as strange as this sounds, the shadows got slower. I would spin my head around and would actually catch the end of a dark trail, moving itself through the wall. I obviously didn't mention this to my counsellor. There was already a large question mark over my mental state after the accident, and I was very conscious to not give anyone the impression I was losing my mind. So my shadowy visitors remained my little secret. Until one night around 8pm... I was sat reading on the corner of my bed and caught a particularly slow movement to my right. I turned and saw, for the first time, a shadow in its full moving form. It was from the floor to about waist height and to me appeared as rolling black smoke, rolling up, around and down the wall while simultaneously heading towards my bedroom door. As I say, never going any higher than a few feet. I got the sense it was trying to move as quickly as it could away from my gaze. I stood, watching it roll itself slowly past me, 
and I followed it out through the doorway into the hall. I remember wondering why it didn't pass through the wall like before, why it was now using the doorway to escape. Was it losing power, perhaps? I continued to follow it into the hallway. Back to your room, my grandma shouted, her palm held up against my face, stopping me in my tracks. She physically gripped my shoulders and turned me around, walking me back into my room and saying, I'll deal with our little visitor. You go study. She pointed at my books and walked out, closing the door behind her. I just sat there. What the hell was happening? I heard the clear noise of my grandma's prayer room door closing. My grandpa knocked on my bedroom door and walked in. I waited for him to speak. He smiled at me and said, Elena knows how to deal with this, Diego. Do not be afraid. I just nodded and feigned a smile back. Then my bedroom light flickered and we both looked up at the light bulb. And then... It sounded as if a tank had hit the house. I heard pictures drop off the wall in the hallway. I jumped up, but Grandpa gestured with his hands for me to sit, shushing me. So I sat and he closed my bedroom door and came and sat with me, putting his arm around me. I... More shushing from my grandpa as he rubbed my arm to try and soothe me whilst our walls were being pounded. I was shaking. I had no idea what was happening. Is grandma okay? I whimpered. Grandpa nodded. She's just fine, he said. Then the light in my room stopped blinking. And my grandpa stood, walked to my doorway and said, I'll go check on your grandma. You stay here and keep studying, he said, smiling, like this was completely normal. After a few moments of sitting there bewildered, I slowly opened my door and looked down the hallway. I saw my grandpa helping my grandma stay on her feet. She was struggling to stay upright. I closed the door and I didn't sleep all night. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. 
So head over to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's PolicyGenius.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The next morning, I walked into the kitchen and Grandpa was making breakfast. Not Grandma, as usual. He smiled. Grandma's having a rest. He said as he passed me a bowl of cereal. Is she okay? I asked. He smiled and nodded. She's just a bit... I'm fine. I turned to see my Grandma in the kitchen doorway. She was in her bedclothes and looked wild. Her hair, her eyes. She was staring a hole right through me. An angry, contemptful glare. Grandpa quickly walked over and led her back to bed. And I hurried my breakfast and left for school. When I returned that evening, the two children of our neighbours, the Lopez family, were playing in our yard with my grandma. She looked much more her usual self. Both of our families were very close. Mr Lopez would always knock to see if I wanted to go places with them or to see if I'd like to throw ball in the street. My situation seemed to weigh heavy on him. It was as if he felt that he needed to do what he could to give me some fatherly influence whenever possible. It was usual that if Mr and Mrs Lopez were working late, they would tell their children to go to our house after school. They didn't need to give us any prior warning. My grandma loved them and would let them treat her house as their own. The only place out of bounds was, of course, the prayer room. And so, of course, when I saw one of the children walking out of the prayer room with a small figurine, I ran over and quietly reprimanded him. You're not to go in there, ever, I said, taking the figure out of his hands. He replied that he just wanted to play with some figures and walked off sulking. I looked at the figure in my hand of some saint and was about to return it when my fingers felt grooves along the back of the figure. Turning it around to see the rear... I struggled to make out what I was looking at. The back of the figure appeared to be melted, and within the melting was carved a very basic-looking face and a strange symbol marked on its stomach, or the actual figure's back. Walking slowly into the prayer room, it was clear where the figure had been taken from, and so I walked over and returned it, but I was now intrigued. So keeping an ear out for my grandma, I turned around another figure. Again, it was melted on the rear. A deeply disturbing smile carved into this one. I checked another. Again, a similar carving. 
every one I checked had some disturbing feature or other. I quickly ensured the room appeared to be undisturbed and walked into the hall. You are not allowed in there. It was Grandma. She was wagging her finger at me. I told her about the Lopez child and that I was simply returning the figure. She looked me up and down, as if sensing what I'd seen, and then said, Your grandpa is sleeping, so be quiet when you pass the room. This was a really early time for my grandpa to be sleeping, so I asked, Is he okay? He's fine. She replied in a sing-song voice with her back to me as she walked away. Something was off with her. I couldn't quite place it, but something wasn't quite right. Later, after the Lopez's returned home and it was just me and Grandma, I was studying at the kitchen table, and I felt someone standing behind me in the doorway. I turned around quickly, and Grandma was stood there. She looked wild again. It made me feel uncomfortable, like I wanted to run. Diego, she said, can you please go next door and tell Mr. Lopez I'd like to talk to him? Tell him I'll be in the kitchen. It's a private matter, so if you could stay with Mrs. Lopez until Mr. Lopez returns. I nodded quickly. In all honesty, I was happy to get away from this feeling. I knocked at the Lopez's and explained what my grandma had said. So Mr. Lopez headed over to our house. I was in the Lopez's front room, watching the news on TV. Mrs. Lopez was saying how terrible this particular news story was. Twin babies had been kidnapped from their home in the north, and it was the second week without any trace. That's when I saw the lights of a police car coming through the window. Mrs. Lopez headed outside, quickly followed by me and her children. Mr. Lopez was talking to the officer, his hand rubbing his brow, and he nodded over towards me. The officer spoke to her colleague, and he proceeded to stand at the Lopez's gate. Diego, he said. I nodded. Come with me, please. I thought I'd done something wrong and was running through everything in my mind that I'd recently done that may constitute a crime. But I had committed no crime. It unfolded that my grandma had. Mr. Lopez had entered the house to find a note telling him to look after me and to call the police and let them know that in the bedroom they would find the bodies of my grandpa and my grandma. Grandpa had apparently been poisoned and grandma had slit her own throat laying next to him. I spent the next two nights at the Lopez's in complete shock. Police investigation after police investigation. My school counsellor paid me a visit too though I can't recall what she said. It was all just a blur. That entire part of my life is almost blank to me. My brain just couldn't handle the details. I know as fact what took place, but I can't reconcile that 
with the person my grandma was. Despite Mr. Lopez's protests, it was decided it would be in my best interests to be sent to my maternal grandparents. They had apparently immediately requested that I stay with them upon hearing the news, and as they were family, it was decided I should be under their care. The trouble was, I didn't really know my maternal grandparents. They lived over a hundred miles away, and had not approved of my mother's choice of husband. My mother, being as strong-minded as she was, decided she would press on regardless of their approval, and therefore their relationship faltered. I'd maybe seen them about twice in the last five years, but when I arrived, my Gran Rosa ran out to meet me and hugged me as tight as she possibly could, and with everything I'd been through, I returned the strength of the hug. She openly wept while smiling, saying how happy she was that I was there, and how awful my life must have been up to this point, and how she would make sure everything was going to change. Well, I needed to hear this. I didn't realise how much, but I did. Her words hit me in the chest. The fact she had the features of my mother probably helped with that effect. My grandpa, Hugo, was still working in his early 60s as a labourer. He seemed less enthused to see me, and Gran Rosa seemed to ignore his very presence as she showed me to my new bedroom. Without any goodbyes or hellos, Grandpa Hugo left the house, slamming the front door. Ignore your grandpa, said Gran Rosa. He lives at the bar more than at the house. I smiled and began unpacking. Unlike my house, this house was all on one level, with a long corridor that led from the front door to the back of the house, each room siding off this corridor. One door was latched and closed with a small padlock. Seeing that I'd noticed, Gran Rosa smiled and said, That's my prayer room. I make sure to keep it locked so your drunken grandpa doesn't come and knock everything over. She made a drunken walk to try and make me laugh. I forced a smile and continued to unpack. I went for a walk the next day trying to get my bearings of where I now lived. This area seemed less advanced. It felt more dangerous just walking the streets. Or maybe it was just because it was a new area, and I was struggling to cope with all that had gone on. I noticed that each post I walked past had flyers glued to them, asking for information on the missing twins. And then it dawned on me, it was only the next town over where the kidnapping had taken place. Maybe this was a more dangerous area. I hurried home. I walked into a blazing row between my Gran Rosa and Grandpa Hugo. He was clearly drunk and sat on a stool pointing at her, calling her a witch, a bruja, and spitting at her feet. She noticed I'd returned and was stood in the hallway. She came running to me, closing the kitchen door behind her. 
Grandpa Hugo is once again drunk. She rolled her eyes and forced a smile. Best to stay out of his way when he's like this. I nodded and headed to my room, wishing I was still at the Lopez's instead of here. Wishing I was anywhere instead of here. A few hours later, I really needed some water, and so I crept my way to the kitchen. Gran Rosa was in her bedroom, I presumed asleep, and Grandpa Hugo was asleep on the kitchen table. I headed over and opened the fridge door, and the sound woke my grandpa. Diego, he grunted. Come sit. He kicked a stool towards me. I took the water from the fridge, and feeling rather afraid, sat on the stool. Grandpa leant forwards. I like you, Diego. You don't deserve. He looked all around. This. I said nothing. Rosa? Your grandma? I nodded. He nodded, as he said. She's a bruja. Again, I said nothing. He leant forward again. You think what happened with your father's parents is an accident? Still, I said nothing. Mind you, he continued. Your gran Elena was a bruja too. Surrounded by filthy bruja, he spat on the floor. We both sat in silence. I felt like I needed permission to leave. And then he leant both arms on the table, placing his head in his hands. Your mother was never meant to be on that bike, you know, he muttered. I remained silent, but I felt a rising anger in me. I wanted to kill him. It's hard to describe, but I'll try. It was as if there was a crowd behind me, all whispering in my ears, egging me on to kill this man. I was so frightened I would kill him there and then that I instinctively jumped off the stool and ran to my room. The murderous feeling dissipated as I distanced myself from him. The next day, I called Mr. Lopez. I lied to him and said I was finding my feet here. But when I went to end the call, he reiterated I would always have a home there if I needed it. I thanked him and said I know. That evening, I couldn't sleep. It was far too hot. I lay there cursing my very existence, crying. I was a total mess. I hated everything and everyone. I heard a noise in the hallway. At this time early in the morning, I expected everyone to be asleep. So I tiptoed to my doorway and popped my head down the corridor. My Gran Rosa was in her nightgown, her eyes closed, giggling and flicking the padlock of the prayer room. Was she sleepwalking? I wasn't sure. I leant back further into my doorframe to make sure she couldn't see me and slowly peeked around the frame. She was walking back down the hallway towards her room, but something didn't add up. And then I noticed 
she wasn't walking. She was gliding, the tips of her toes dragging along the floor slowly as she moved down the hallway. I sat on my bed for an hour or so, trying to remain as silent as possible. After my breathing calmed down, a thought crossed my mind. Was that padlock unlocked? I picked up my small pen flashlight, and from my doorframe, I shone the light to the padlock. Yes, it was unlocked. Something in me told me I needed to see inside that room. I remember putting on two pairs of socks to soften my footsteps and creeping down to that prayer room with the torch held in my mouth. I silently lifted the padlock out of its catches and ever so slowly opened the door. At first, when I shone my flashlight around, it seemed just like Gran Elena's room. But then I saw them. Three photographs of Grandma Elena and Grandpa Jose. Each had their eyes and mouth scratched out. And on two of the three, my Gran Elena had her neck scratched through with red ink or what I think was red ink. I froze to the spot. Then I noticed to the right a black figurine. It stood out against the other saintly figures. This was a female, much larger than the others. Her arms stretched up to the sky, and underneath the figure was a flyer of the missing twins. Their eyes scratched out, and written in the same red ink on each of the child's foreheads was a plus one and a wavy symbol. I quietly headed back to my room and I immediately packed a bag. I didn't even close the prayer room. I quickly wrote a note saying I wasn't comfortable living there and they should understand why, and asking them not to follow me. I slipped out of my bedroom window and headed for the coach station. I'd had all day to ruminate on what was going to happen as I walked down the street towards the Lopez home. I fully expected the police to be there, ready to take me back. Or if they were not, and everything worked as I hoped... How would I get on living next door to my former home? As I arrived, there were no police cars, and Mr. Lopez welcomed me like a long-lost child of his own. Even though Gran Rosa had known about my link to the Lopez's and would have assumed I'd have gone there, she'd made no contact with them. My only conclusion is that my Gran Rosa had read my note realised her prayer room was open and realised what I'd seen and decided to leave me well alone. Later in adult life, I still know very little about my parents' accident, though I did learn parts. Though I know what I believe caused it, or should I say, who, they both thankfully didn't suffer. Apparently, Dad went under a large oncoming vehicle and died immediately. 
Mum was somehow decapitated as she was thrown from the bike at God knows what speed. So, as grim as that sounds, at least I know they died instantaneously. And it would also seem to explain my nightmares, although I use the word explain in inverted commas. You may ask how I write all this so seemingly blasé, however, it's anything but. This has and will stay with me all my life. The twins were never found, by the way. Presumed trafficked. I, as sick as this sounds to say, I presume differently. I think somehow, some way, my Gran Rosa was involved in their disappearance. I don't know how it's just a feeling, but a gut feeling. Just as I know in my gut, the deaths of my parents and Grandma Elena and Grandpa Jose all, somehow, fall at the feet of Gran Rosa. Thank you for your patience while I edited and re-edited my experience. I needed to ensure people's privacy. And, as you can see, I'm hopefully keeping them safe by doing so. Diego And there we have it. Thank you, Diego, for your patience in the back-and-forth correspondence that we've exchanged. I'm so grateful for you for submitting your experience, and I'm so happy that we finally got to share it with our listeners. And so, that brings us to the end of Season 10 of The Dark Paranormal. I've already began work on Season 11, and believe it could be our best yet. Each episode is already scheduled and we have some amazing tales to tell. But we always have room to move around. So if you have a true paranormal experience that you believe would suit the Dark Paranormal Season 11, then please let me know. Email thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com or visit our website thedarkparanormal.com and click the Contact Us link. Season 11 will debut on Friday the 28th of April, and I can't wait to share what should be our biggest season yet with you wonderful listeners. Our Patreons will receive that premiere earlier in that week, and of course we'll have the Dark Bites episodes each week between now and then. So again, if you choose to support the show through Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. And if you're unable to support through Patreon, maybe give us a share, tell your friends, or leave a nice review. The more people who know about the show means we get more true paranormal experiences to share with you wonderful listeners. And so, as we head into the season break, I just ask one thing. When you're talking about the paranormal, always remember to leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you for season 11 of The Dark Paranormal.